0: All right, let's, let's go ahead and get started and open up with a word of prayer before we start our Sunday school class. I imagine we may have some stragglers come in here in a, in a few minutes. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you thanks and praise for everything you've done for us and everything you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful frosty morning, uh, how the grass glistens with the, the, the white frost and, and uh, the trees, how they're changing colors and how they're so fiery and vibrant. Lord, we just thank you so much uh just for your handiwork and that we could rejoice we have different reasons each season to rejoice in you and uh because of your creative ability and 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 the seasons we're kind of studying that here in genesis in our sunday school class the beginning and the origins of everything so lord we ask that you would just lead guide and direct us and may your holy spirit be our guide and teacher and lead and guide us into all truth open up our hearts and our minds to your word to the depths of it uh, that are inexhaustible, and help us to learn things uh, maybe that we've never learned or or seen before through your word and through the scriptures and the original languages that it was written in. Lord, help me to be clear and articulate as I teach, and we love you and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be starting today. I'm going to be reading from the Tree of Life version, which is a messianic Jewish translation. It had uh, seventy scholars, Christian and Jewish, that worked together on this, and uh, so I'm I'm reading it because I, I want to kind of draw out the more Hebraic uh, imagery uh, as I teach. So Genesis three one says, "But the serpent was shrewder than any animal of the field that Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, made." So he said to the woman. Did God really say you must not eat of the trees of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, of the fruit of the trees we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree that which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it and you must not touch it or you will die. So we're going to talk about the serpent to start out with. So um, according to Jewish sources, and the hebrew language the serpent is hinted that it was not a wild or domestic animal i mean we have this imagery of you know of a snake um of a serpent but it could have been something more um we know that at that point in time that god uh, descended and walked with adam and eve in the cool of the day so they had a a physical personal intimate relationship with god and many people would call this a theophany or a christophany where god or jesus yeshua takes on a physical form and uh he had communion with adam and eve so it it kind of stands to reason that if god kind of came back and forth and down that it probably wasn't unusual for uh heavenly beings angelic hosts to kind of go back and forth between heaven and earth so it probably wasn't an uncommon sight uh, for them to see maybe a heavenly creature or a heavenly being an angel it was probably kind of normal to them uh, because that gateway because there was no sin at that time that gateway between heaven and earth was wide open so it says that uh, the serpent was unique he was separate he was unique uh, something special so uh, some people say that this might be satan's attempt to counterfeit life now the word serpent in the hebrew is nakash. and the interesting thing about hebrew is that all of the letters in hebrew have a numeric equivalent and it's called gemantria and it's interesting how the hebrew language works out number one it's a pictorial language the paleo ancient hebrew so the the pictures uh the, the word pictures actually define the word uh so for instance fire ash. it's olive and sheen the olive represents the ox which represents strength because of the horns and power and then you have sheen uh, which represents teeth and it stands for like devouring so fire is strength through devouring it devours through its strength so the pictures the word pictures kind of define the word and then the numerics The gemantria also brings a new level of meaning and understanding for instance if you take the hebrew words father and mother and take the numerical equivalent and add them together it adds up to the word child so it's really fascinating so you have nakash which uh the noon is uh, uh 50 the ch sound is eight and the sh sound or the sheen is 300 which equals 358 now, it's interesting that the word Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew uh, has the same numeric equivalent. You have the Mem, which is 40, the Sheen, uh, which is 30, the Yud, which is 10, and the, uh, uh, the Ch sound, which is 8. And it also is 358. So numerically speaking, through the Hebrew numerology and gematria, the serpent represents a counterfeit of the Messiah. He's a counterfeit. He's an anti-messiah. And the word antichrist or anti-messiah, that word anti doesn't just mean against, it can mean another. So it means against or another. So we see that the serpent was the first antichrist, if you will, the first anti-messiah, because he was the counterfeit. Now, the angelic hosts were sometimes called the shining ones. The shining ones. Uh, because they seem to luminesce and there's other uh, apocryphal and rabbinical literature that hint that uh, these heavenly beings had iridescent uh, skin that they reflected the light of the sun or whatever they were near so it kind of had that sheeny rainbow type effect and then some even say that if you get really detailed on the skin they were just fine scales you know how like sometimes the fish you catch will have that iridescent nature to the scales well they say that it was the same thing with certain heavenly beings that humans encountered that they had these little scales uh, so now second corinthians eleven fourteen, 14 the apostle paul Rav Shoal writes satan disguises himself as an angel of light as an angel of light so we all, you know, we, we've grown up with that imagery and picture in our head that Satan is just this, you know, red devil with horns and wings and a pitchfork tail and goat legs, and you know he's just all ugly and everything. But it says Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, so he can counterfeit or attempt to counterfeit what is good, what is holy, what is right. And uh, Satan, whose uh, whose who's, uh, the Latin name is Lucifer but the hebrew name is hillel it means light bearer light bearer so that's another indication that satan is counterfeit because jesus he says i am the light of the world the light of the world he is the light and satan is called a shining one satan is called the light bearer that's what his hebrew name indicates so there again is another type of counterfeit of god and of, of the messiah now Satan was originally a, uh, in the class of the Seraphim, which was a, a special class of heavenly beings. They were considered throne guardians. And they're the ones that circled the throne and said, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So that's a continual praise. And they were considered throne guardians. Now we see even this imagery in other uh, ancient Mesopotamian. Uh, cultures such as Egypt and uh, the uh, Ugaritic writings and um, all these other different um, cultures they had throne guardians as well and a lot of times the snake represented uh, the throne guardian now the word uh, seraph means snake and it also means burning or it means flame so we know that a seraph has six wings you know, with two, it did fly, with two, it covered its body, with two, it covered its feet, right? So we imagine it in a human form, but uh, the Hebrew would indicate that it was a more of a serpentine type of form. And the reason that um, it's snake and flame and burning are several reasons. And, and the, you'll get the imagery of the wings here in a second. But a snake, usually it was referring to the cobra. The cobra could spit venom to blind uh, either an animal or a human being that it was fearful of or that it encountered. So it'd be able to eject poison venom from its mouth and blind somebody. And it would cause a burning sensation on the skin or in the eyes. So that's where you get that connotation of burning. And that has been later translated into a flame, which also refers back to how I said that these angelic hosts were sometimes called the shining ones or the burning ones. And a cobra could, could stretch out uh, the sides of its skin and create this hood that's very familiar to the shape of a cobra. And the the ancients called it wings because it looked like wings, because it flared out. So there's some connections there with that. So you have the seraphim, uh, which was this uh, class of heavenly beings that was kind of serpentine in its description and appearance, and it had wings and it was shining it was burning so you could see all those analogies and that is the class of heavenly host that satan was and again we we call him lucifer because that's the latin translation but the hebrew is hillel and it means light bearer and this has crossed over into other mythologies um, because we all had the same origin story No matter where you go on earth everybody has a creation story and a flood story a worldwide flood story that was very very similar almost identical you had the epic epic of gilgamesh well that's just the flood story is all that is and so you also had uh an origin story for the different uh false gods and heavenly beings and um so you have um in greek you have prometheus Prometheus supposedly stole fire from the gods right, and gave fire to mankind and this is how twisted Satan is because he has taken that storyline and it is now prevalent in uh, political and entertainment circles in Hollywood and in Washington DC where used to it was all secretive used to it was all in the dark but you have famous politicians and famous uh, Hollywood actors and actresses who are saying that Lucifer is their god That Lucifer is the light bearer, that Lucifer stole knowledge or fire from God because God was stingy. He didn't want us to know everything, and he stole it and gave it to us as a gift. So Satan's really a good guy. Hollywood has created a television show all about this called Lucifer, making Satan look like the good. He's just a misunderstood angel is all he is. He's not really that bad. I mean, you have such people like Miley Cyrus who has claimed this and all these others. It's crazy. So you see how Satan is the counterfeit. you know. And, and God didn't withhold knowledge from us to uh, harm us or to keep us in the dark or to keep us ignorant. He, he guarded us to keep us safe because Satan twisted that. He said, if you eat of this fruit, God doesn't want you to do it because he knows when you do, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil right and so when they took this fruit they were wanting this esoteric knowledge this this godly wisdom that 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 satan convinced them that he was keeping from the human race and we see this story play out in mythology and other parts of scripture so it's very interesting and also let me just add that in Ezekiel, you have that uh, heavenly being that has the, the uh, hands and the body of a man. It has four wings, and it has a face of an ox and a face of an eagle, a face of a man, and a face of a lion, right? You'll see this imagery again in other cultures because other cultures have adopted it from, uh, from the original faith. Uh, in Mesopotamia, there is this image, and it's like a body of a bull with wings, and it's got the head of a man. And it's almost the same description as this heavenly creature in Ezekiel. So there's a lot of parallels. And these these cultures have borrowed, or I wouldn't say stolen, but borrowed and kind of tweaked uh, these these, um, biblical and heavenly descriptions to their own culture. And so we'll see similarities in all these other cultures, but they're drawing from the Judeo-Christian faith. Um, All right. So again, the uh, fallen—let's see, I already covered that now remember when i said that they were the shining ones uh when satan and the third of his heavenly host that sided with him in the heavenly rebellion fell to earth supposedly they fell to what is called mount hermon and it kind of became their mount olympus and there they decided to rebel against god and to make themselves gods and to fool the people to steal worship uh from the from god uh and Kind of channel it towards them and that's how all the false gods got started but they were called the shining ones what happened at at the Mount of Transfiguration which is Mount Hermon it was during the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus and his inner circle Peter James and John went up there and all of a sudden he was transfigured he was transformed his face shone. his clothes turned white and radiated it was a reversal of the fall Jesus Christ says you are called the B'nai ha Elohim the sons of God but you fell and you rebelled i am the only and true son of god and therefore you think you're shining ones i am the shining one because i am the light of the world and this is my declaration to you that your guys's time on earth is limited and he showed this limitation of their reign and rule and activities on earth when he encountered legion the guy who had that legion of demons in him and what did the what did the demon say have you come to torment us before the time They knew that there was a time limit to their their activities on earth, that their days were numbered, and they only had had a certain amount of time before they were going to be overthrown and defeated. And that's why they asked uh, Yeshua to cast them into the pigs. So it's kind of interesting here. So we see, even in the beginning, Satan poses as this false messiah. Now the question is, did Satan possess a snake, or did he transform himself into a snake, or did he just... Keep his heavenly form which is kind of a serpentine winged throne guardian we don't really know i mean you can kind of get either interpretation from the hebrew so that's kind of left up to uh to interpretation uh also notice that when the serpent when satan uh talked to eve she wasn't shocked she wasn't surprised it's like oh my goodness a talking animal it was kind of normal it it, it kind of you kind of get the hint that this was kind of every day so the question is, did animals have the ability to speak or did humanity have the ability to telepathically communicate with the animals? Because after the fall, the animals became afraid of us and we no longer had that, you know, that close relationship we had in the beginning because in the beginning, the animals came to Adam and he named them all. And they they were helpful in certain kinds of ways, and they kind of helped Adam tend and guard and take care of the garden. But they weren't a perfect helpmate. There was no there was no one comparable to Adam, so you know he couldn't call any of the animals uh, you know his helpmate. So there's kind of a hint that there was some some kind of communication. And even today, I know that that a lot of psychologists will say, oh well, we imposed anthropomorphic characteristics to animals you know they, they they don't they don't really think like we do they don't really have feelings like we do we just think they do because we impose how we feel upon them but to me it's abundantly clear that animals have feelings they know how to love they know how to be angry they you know they can cry they can be hurt they can be fearful they have emotions like we do and one of the uh, greatest indicators of this is uh, coco the gorilla they actually taught Coco the gorilla how to speak sign language so she was able to communicate intelligently with human beings by using sign and Coco would indicate when she was sad and she had a pet kitten and she named the kitten ball and ball died and she was sad when when you know Coco sad Coco sad she kept signing because the cat had passed away so we know that animals have an intelligence you know we know that they have a, a sentience to some degree so you know the question is and it's kind of uh fascinating to think about it again this has no hinging upon our salvation or upon our overall doctrine but it's really interesting to consider did adam and eve have a communication with the animals that we don't have anymore either they spoke verbally or they spoke telepathically because uh you know scientists say that we only use a certain percentage of our brain and if we could tap into that other portion of our brain that is left unused that we could communicate telepathically and it stands to reason because i believe that the whole alien phenomena is just uh is demonic and satanic in origins it's just that satan is kind of disguising himself as aliens from outer space and when these encounters happen a lot of the people say well they didn't speak to me verbally but i heard them in my head so we know that fallen angelic beings or heavenly beings have the capacity to communicate telepathically to us so it makes us wonder well did we have that ability to to you know uh communicate telepathically to each other or to the animal world we don't know but it's something very interesting to think about uh okay let me see if i've covered everything on here okay i think i have anybody have any questions all right we'll continue on yeah Mm mm-hmm Right. It had, it had limbs. It had legs. Uh, so, you know, if, if Satan did possess the body of a snake or the body of a serpent, it had a different form. You know, it had uh, limbs. It, yeah, he cursed it to crawl on its belly. In other words, taking away its limbs. So, you know, because of the Hebrew, we, we don't really know if, if actually a serpent or a snake was possessed. Uh, and of course, it, it had limbs at that time, or if Satan actually came in his angelic form, because it was really no strange thing in the garden, because we know that we know by the Hebrew now that seraphim, throne guardians, had more of a serpentine type of uh, characteristics to their appearance, uh, because of the Hebrew words nachash and the Hebrew words seraph and seraphim. Um, so we don't know, but we all we know is that snakes today don't have any limbs. But scientists have said that it looks like in the past that they may have had limbs. Now people say, well, isn't that evolution? Well, no, there's a difference in evolution. There's macroevolution and microevolution. Macroevolution is when you jump species, when you have a monkey turns into a man. We know that's impossible. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. But there's microevolution, which would be better described uh, described as adaptation, where uh, things are adapted. So, So for instance, you have goats that are used to um you know frolicking in the fields right and let's say that another species invades their territory these predators like wolves or lions or whatever and forces them to the mountains well as the years pass by and as generations of goats pass by these goats have learned and adapted to be able to survive on the mountains and you see these photographs of these goats that are standing on the edge of these little tiny cliffs on the mountains and they're mountain goats. Well, that's not, I mean, that's microevolution, that's adaptation. And every species has that ability to adapt, but we don't have that ability to jump from one species t- to another. You know, uh, from, you know, like a goat can't turn into a lion or what have you. Uh, so, yeah, uh, so scientists even kind of uh, say that uh, serpents probably did have uh, limbs at one point there's indications within their internal structure and even their outward structure that would hint of this so it's pretty interesting to kind of think about so the garden of eden was basically heaven on earth and we know that in the end that that's the whole goal of redemption there's a passage of scripture says that the earth groans and longs for redemption so what's the purpose of redemption is returning the earth back to that edenic state because the garden of eden was perfect There was no sin, no death. You know, you couldn't improve on God's creation. When he created the Garden of Eden and created the earth in the beginning before the fall, you couldn't add or take away anything. It was everything anybody could ever want or need. So we know that in Revelation that uh, the Lord is going to create a new heaven and a new earth right and so if you remember as i said before that if the pre-edemic earth is true if there's a theory of that that fits god's laws perfectly because god says you can wash something twice and if it can't be cleansed twice then you have to purge it with fire so you had the pre-edemic flood you had the noatic flood and what did peter say how it's going to end that the elements will melt with a fervent heat the earth is going to be purged by fire and he's going to and from the ashes of that, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, because the whole goal is to return things back to that edenic state. So um, where was Satan prior to the expulsion from heaven? He was in heaven, right? Because he was a throne guardian. He was considered a throne guardian. So where was he cast down to? He was cast down to the earth, right? He's called the prince in the power of the air. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, so uh, I'm going to read Luke. If I can find it here, Luke chapter 10. See, I told you you would learn stuff in the Sunday school class that you've never learned before, and I was so excited when I learned this stuff myself. And it, and and this happens when you get into the original Hebrew and Greek of the Scriptures. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 10 verses 18 through 19 it says and yeshua said to them i was watching satan fall like lightning from heaven behold i have given you authority to trample uh, to trample serpents and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy nothing will harm you now and it's interesting they said snakes and scorpions could this also be an illusion To the heavenly creatures because we know that satan uh was a seraph he had a serpentine like appearance so in revelation what is going to be released from the pit locusts and there's also descriptions as well as yeah that, that these certain creatures will have the sting of scorpions so it could it be like these fallen angelic hordes that have been, uh, because of their rebellion, they have been locked in the earth, the scriptures say. Uh, and then they will be released in the end for a short period of time. Could the snakes and scorpions be also an allusion to the fallen heavenly creatures, the fallen heavenly beings? Because he said, he says it almost in the same breath. I watch Satan, the seraph, the seraphim. The throne guardian, I watched Lucifer, Hillel fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample over the serpents and scorpions. So, it, you know, this, this could, you know, a lot of times we, there's a cult, the snake handling cult, that have taken this verse And have taken it literally because they don't understand the idioms and allegories and allusions that sometimes the scriptures bring. And it's usually in the Appalachian Mountains in the south. You know, they'll just be, you know, having this service and they'll bring out this big box and it's (laughs) rattlesnakes and cottonmouths. And they'll be dancing with it. Woo! bless God. He's given us power to overcome the. You know, and they believe if they get bit that it's nothing's going to harm them because this is because the scripture says this. Well, there's a lot of them that has died because they got bit and they didn't have any anti venom. This is not what this verse means. That's how cults get started. You take a verse, you run with it, you don't understand the linguistic or historical context of the passage. That's why it's so vital and important to understand the scriptures from a linguistic and historical and contextual uh, framework. So I've given you authority to trample upon the serpents and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Snakes and scorpions are not necessarily our enemies unless we invade their territories. Talking about physical animals. You leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. So I don't think that Jesus is talking about literal snakes and scorpions. Because he says, I've given you to overcome all the power of the enemy. Who is the enemy? Satan. The word Satan means enemy. So I believe that the snakes and scorpions that are mentioned here is referring to the fallen, angelic, or heavenly beings that rebelled and linked up or or was in league with Satan the b'nei ha Elohim the sons of God as it says in Genesis chapter 6 nevertheless do not rejoice that spirits here we go talking about spirits linking the spirits to the snakes and scorpions linking the snakes and scorpions to Satan falling from heaven nevertheless do not rejoice that the spirits are submitted to you but rejoice that your names uh, have been written in heaven Uh, also I want to turn to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Here we go. How you have fallen from heaven, O bright star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to earth, and you have made the nations uh, prostrate. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Again, stars of God. Stars of God was another name for the heavenly hosts. And in Jude, the fallen angelic hosts are called wandering stars. So, again, you've got to understand the Hebraic linguistic and cultural context of the scripture because sometimes a star doesn't mean a star. It means an angel it means a heavenly being I will ascend to heaven and exalt my throne above the stars of God in other words I'm gonna rule over all the heavenly hosts I'm gonna be the head honcho and really Satan was uh, you know Satan was kind of a God's right-hand man before he fell because he was a throne guardian right he was he was uh, right by God's side and pride took over I will sit upon the Mount of meeting in the uttermost parts of the north Okay, you remember the divine cosmological uh, model that I showed you about how the ancients believed that the earth was sort of like a flat earth and it was like a snow globe where it had this this canopy of water above it and the throne of God was above that? Well, that's as far north as you can get. That's what it's talking about here. I will sit upon the mount of meeting in the uttermost parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest places of the clouds. North. The water canopy. God's throne room in the scriptures, uh, when the 70 elders uh, saw God with Moses, says that the throne room was like sapphire. Sapphires are blue, representing water. I will make myself Elyon, the most high. And then verse 15, hallelujah. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol. You'll be brought down to hell, to the grave, to the lowest parts of the pit, which the lowest parts of the pit is called Tartarus or Tartarus. And it's that gulf that spans between abraham's bosom and hell it's that bottomless pit there all right so he's called you know lucifer is called the morning star again that allusion to being a light bearer son of the morning okay now satan being cast out of the garden parallels him being cast out of heaven so it kind of parallels that too. All right, Genesis 3.3, 3, let's move on. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God really say that? No, really? What makes you think that, Tracy? Well, you know, we're talking about the uh, the um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree in the midst of the garden. So here Eve says we're not to, um, you know, we're not to eat of it or touch it. There you go. That's the answer I was looking for. God did not say touch it. God said, do not eat of it. He didn't say anything about touching it. So who told her not to touch it? Well, not necessarily. Adam. 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 Now, let me explain to you something about fences around the law. And you'll kind of get a better picture of why Judaism has so, so many customs and traditions. All right. Now, the rules of the road, for instance, is you've got to stay between the yellow line and the white line in your lane, unless you're passing, unless you have the break of the yellow line, and you're allowed to pass. You've gotta stay in that rent lane, right? That's the law. So if you're driving down the road and there's a cliff beside you, you're not to cross that white line into the shoulder, which might throw you off the cliff. But yet, what, do, what does the highway of transportation, the Department of Transportation do? They put a guardrail there so you don't fall off the cliff. You know it's the law not to cross that white line, unless it's an emergency and you have to pull off to the shoulder. You're not to cross that white line but they don't want you to fall over the cliff. So they put a guardrail there. There is a fence around the law of not crossing that white line, unless it's an emergency. That's an example. So we do this with our kids too, right? You know, we tell them, um, you know, don't don't, uh, stick your finger in the light socket, right? Don't, Don't stick anything in the light socket. You may add to that to keep them further away because if you tell them not to stick their finger in the light socket, they might sit next to it and they might look at it and they might be tempted to touch it, or might be. You know. So you say, don't even go near it. You put a fence around that law, that rule that you made not to stick your finger in the light socket. You made a, a fence around it. say, don't even go, don't go three feet near it. If you're three feet near it, I'm gonna spank your little bottom, right? But the original rule was don't stick your finger in the light socket. Well, that's kind of the way it is in Judaism. They, they create fences around the law so you don't even get anywhere near or close to breaking that commandment. So, for instance, they have a lot of rules on the Sabbath, right? You know, we know that we're to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. We're not to work on the Sabbath. But they've added to that law saying, you're not even supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. So don't even think about carrying. Don't carry your Bible. Don't carry nothing because that's work. And we see that, that offense around the law when Jesus and the disciples were going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and they were picking grain and rubbing it in their hands and eating it and they're saying your disciples are working on the sabbath no because the law also says you are allowed to glean from fields to satisfy your hunger it's not that you got a basket and you're filling the basket full of grain you're just plucking it you know rub it in your hands and throw it in your mouth just to eat it to satisfy your hunger you're eating you're not working you're eating But yet the pharisee says oh no 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 they're working you're not even supposed to do that they added a fence around the law because they wanted to keep the sabbath holy they had good intentions but now these fences around the law have become commandments in and of themselves so sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it can end up biting us in the butt and we see here in genesis 3 that it ended up biting adam and eve in the butt because it is believed we know that god said don't eat of it so we, we, we possibly believe that maybe Adam told Eve, look, we're not to eat of it. Look, I don't even want you touching it. And so she took... Uh-huh, go ahead. Wait, it's I don't understand what God But God Right. So Adam is the priest, right? Adam is the head. So whatever God says, Adam relates to Eve in a lot of instances. So we know at the beginning, God told Adam, don't eat of it. Well, here Eve says, you must not eat of it. And she adds the and, which kind of hints that it may not have been God that said it and you must not touch it or you will die so adam out of concern and safety because what was his responsibility to tend and keep the garden to tend and guard it so he was guarding eve he had good intentions to create a fence around the law so that you know you won't even you know she won't eat of it but she won't even touch it so if she doesn't touch it she won't eat it right if you can't touch it you can't get near it so you, we, i don't have to worry about her eating it if she can't touch it But if you read, like, the Book of Jasher and the the, the Book of Jubilees and the Book of Enoch and other extra-biblical literature, it says that Satan proved Eve wrong by pushing Eve up against the tree. He said, look, you just touched it and you didn't die. Now, we don't know if that really happened because it's not the canonical scriptures. But it's interesting that it was possibly Adam that built this fence around the law to protect Eve, but it ended up biting him in the butt because, you know, if... uh, Eve did actually touch it and nothing happened to her, then she would have been, she would have gotten to the point where she even doubted God's command. Well, I touched it and I didn't die, so maybe I won't die if I eat of it. So you see the progression here of the deception that goes on? Uh, okay. Now, Proverbs 30, verse 6 says, Do not add to the law or you will be found a liar. So we're not, and, and in uh, other parts of Scripture, it says we are not to add or take away from the word of God right because if we add or take away those additions or subtractions could become they could become as solid as law in people's minds another uh, taking away from the law an example of taking away is uh when uh, jesus says you make null and void god's commandments by your traditions now the commandment was to honor your father and mother which meant that when they get old there is no canadian pension there is no welfare system back in ancient times that the sons and daughters were to take care of their parents when they got too old to work. But if the son says, oh, mother and father, Korban, I've already dedicated this to God in the temple, he is exempt from taking care of his parents. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite because you're taken away from God's laws. So there's there's the example of addition and taking away there. All right, so verses, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you most assuredly won't die. See how he just kind of tweaked it? You know, God says you will die. Satan says you will not die. He just added one word. Just changed the commandment by one word. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Godhood, power, knowledge is power. Satan was trying to to allude to and to hint that God was not a loving God because God's keeping vital knowledge from you. And if you eat of this fruit, you'll have the same knowledge of God. And that is the lie that is being perpetuated today, especially in the New Age. Because the New Age movement, the whole thing is you can be your own God. You can become your own God. That's even in Mormonism. Because Mormonism, you know, when you die, you become your own God and you can rule your own planet. And then you can have sex for all eternity and create spirit babies for all eternity. woo woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Right? Man, that's just ludicrous. It's the same lie. You will be as gods. They're they're, they're the same religion, too, that say that Satan and Jesus are brothers. So, anyway. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Verse 5, or verse 6. Now the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a thing of a lust for the eyes, and that the tree was desirable for imparting wisdom. So she took its fruit and she ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her and ate it. I've seen cartoons of this story, and Adam's working somewhere in the garden. He senses something like he has a spidey sense. Oh, no, something's wrong. And maybe the sky turns black and and thunder, and he's like, oh, i got to check on Eve. That's not the way it went down. Right here it says that Adam was with Eve when Satan was tempting her. He failed in his prime directive of guarding and tending and keeping the garden. He should have seen the satanic counterfeit and said, no, get out of here. But guess what? He let Eve take the lead, and Eve took the fruit. See, nothing happened to me. I touched it. See, I ate it. Nothing happened to me. Here, try some. And gave it to Adam, and he ate it. And then he wants to play the name game. Oh, well, God, it wasn't my fault. It was this woman that you gave to me. That's where passing the buck first started. (laughs) So, uh, God gives us a freedom of choice. Verse 6 talks about freedom of choice god could have programmed us like robots he could have you know just made us follow his will but no he wants us to love and serve him on our own free will and our own accord so he gave us the freedom of choice whether to obey him or not to obey him and it was just one rule at that time don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil pretty simple right but they had that freedom of choice and they fell but a lot of people will call that the original sin But that's not the original sin the original sin in the universe is the sin of pride and that's what's caused Satan to fall he was the first sinner of the whole universe because he says I'm gonna be as God's I'm gonna roll over all the angelic host I'm gonna put my throne above the north and I'm gonna be as God so you know it was the sin of pride pride cometh before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction as the proverb says so that's the original sin this is a secondary sin where we disobeyed god and ate of the uh, fruit and again last week if you remember according to jewish tradition it is believed that the tree of knowledge good and evil was a fig tree because Jesus curses a fig tree later on in the New Testament scriptures. And that the tree of life was an almond tree because uh, the legend has it that Adam was able to take a branch from the tree of life as a staff to kind of remind him of where he came from. And it was passed down through the different generations and ended up with Moses. And it was Aaron's rod, you know, him and Aaron used it because they were the same family. And it was Aaron's rod that budded and produced full almonds when they had the contest with the other elders of Israel. Right, and they put their staffs before the Ark of the Covenant. So it's believed that the almond tree is the tree of life. Uh, okay, we still have a few few moments here. So we've got that freedom of choice. Okay, verses three through seven talk about the fall. Uh, so that was when our relationship with God was broken. It was severed. Sin entered the world and became a part of our human nature, our constitution. Sin nature causes us to die. In all three realms, physically, and that kicked off the second law of thermodynamics, the laws of entropy. And see, it goes totally against evolution. It, evolution says things improve and get better and better and better. But all you have to do is just take a look at the universe and the world itself, and things don't get better and better. Things don't evolve better. They mutate. They get worse. They de- They they become decrepit and de- depraved Right. When we get older, we turn into children again. We lose our hair. We lose our teeth. We lose our ability to walk you know it's kind of like you know it's aging in reverse you get to a certain point where you're at the prime of your life and then it's all downhill from there and it's because of the fall and things don't get better so the you know that's physically we die physically and it says in this day you will die well they didn't die that day but to the lord a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day adam didn't live to a thousand years nobody lived to a thousand years the guy who came close was methuselah 969 years he came close so he said in that day you will die so i think it was that symbolic day of a thousand years now they immediately died uh mentally because when the fall happened the, the, the animals were afraid of them. They were kicked out of the garden. They didn't have the same relationship with God's creation as they had before. They didn't have the same relationship with God. They didn't have the same mental capacity that they did, so they died mentally. They were dumbed down, and they died spiritually because their relationship with God was severed, and God is our life. So they died spiritually that day. That's why we need a Savior. The goal uh, is, is restoration back to pre-fall conditions. You know, when your computer becomes corrupt and your computer starts acting wonky on you, you return it to factory settings, right? You have the ability to do that. That's what God wants to do. He wants to return creation back to its factory settings. Okay, so, you know, Eve saw the fruit. She saw that it was edible and nourishing. It was desirable, and she could gain wisdom. She could be like God. 1 John 2.6 says, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw that it was good for food. Uh, Let's see, where's that? Yeah, the woman saw the tree that it was good for food. All right, you know, lust of the flesh. You know, I want to satisfy my hunger. Uh, And that it was a thing of lust for the eyes. You have, there's the lust of the eyes. It was desirable. And that the tree was desirable for imparting wisdom, the pride of life. You will be as God's. So that encapsulates 1 John 2.6. James 1.15 says, Lust, when it has conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin is fully developed or comes forth, it brings forth death. That's the original LSD, lust, sin, and death. So verse 6, Adam was with Eve when when she ate of the fruit, gave it to him. So Adam failed in his commission of Genesis 2.15, which uh, says... Then Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, took man and gave him uh, rest in the Garden of Eden in order to cultivate it and watch over it, to guard it. And he failed in that. All right. Um, So Adam, because he didn't say anything to Eve when she was conversing with the serpent and because she took the fruit and he didn't say anything and he took part of it himself, his silence was considered him condoning the action. Because in the law of Moses, in Numbers chapter 30, verses 6 through 8, it talks about a woman, whether it's a daughter in a father's household or whether it's a wife under the authority of her husband, that if a daughter or a married woman makes a vow to God and the husband hears about it and doesn't say anything, that the vow stands. But if the father or the husband hears of this vow, of the daughter or wife says, "Mm, I don't think that's such a good idea, he has the authority to make null and void that vow the woman had made. So Adam's silence was him condoning what Eve was doing. Okay, verse 8 of chapter 3 and they heard the sound of adonai elohim the lord god going to and fro in the garden in the wind of the day so the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of adonai in the midst of the tree of the garden oh before that it in verse 7 it talks about their eyes were open and they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together fig leaves from the very tree that they took from because the other trees of the garden or the other creation was saying we're not going to take part in your sin According to the legends, so they weren't able to pick leaves from any other tree except the fig tree. Hey, you already took from me, so go ahead and take my leaves. Right? That's that's kind of the picture that's taken. So that's another indication that that it possibly could have been a fig tree. So they hid from God, and God asked this rhetorical question: "Where are you?" He knew exactly where they were. He just wanted to. He just wanted them to come to the realization that he knows and to confess their sin. Right? Then he said, "You're sound. I heard in the garden, and I was afraid because I." Because I am naked and I hid myself. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, oh, uh, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the tree and I ate. It's her fault. <laughs> Adonai, Adonai Elohim said to the woman, what did you do? The woman said, uh, 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 the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here we get the passing the buck, but it all goes down to free choice and free will. Adonai Elohim said to the serpent, because you did this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the animals of the field. On your belly you will go. That's what Gerald was talking about. So, he, you know, the, this, this serpent lost its limbs. And dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now, Genesis 3.15 is the very first indication of the gospel message being uh, preached or being spoken about. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. I will put animosity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. We're going to leave on a cliffhanger. We're going to get into that next week because our time has run out. So we'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably making your heads explode with all this knowledge. All right, so let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for the reading of your word. We love you and we praise you. Help us to understand it and be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. Become better believers and followers of you. To also give answer to the hope that we have within us to other people that ask why we believe what we believe. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask your blessings upon uh, the service that we're about to go into. In Yeshua's name, amen.